0: Hey guys and welcome to the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Ginny Graby.
1: Happy spring break.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Our spring break was last week.
0: It was. That's well, why you didn't hear an episode. You didn't.
1: We were off playing with our kids. Yep. When all five kids are at home, nothing gets done.
0: <laughs> Just a lot of <laughs> Just fun. Just a lot of fun. And big messes.
1: Yeah. So we're excited to be back with you guys this week for episode 51.
0: 51. Yep. Wow. We're getting old.
1: We are. Today we're talking about how to stay crazy in (laughs) love, how to keep that spark alive. So
0: easy for us. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Moving right along. We learned a
1: lot (laughs) from our guest today. Her name is Karen Eman, and she is a best-selling author of over 13 books. Is this her 13th book? Wow.
0: That's a lot of books. A
1: best-selling author of 13 books. She's a speaker and writer for Proverbs 31 Ministries and we had such a great time talking with Karen. Can't wait for you to hear all the wisdom she shares on how to stay crazy in love.
0: All right, so before we dive into our conversation, we're going to share one thing that helps us kind of keep the spark alive and keep us madly in love with each other.
1: (laughs) On most days. Keeps
0: you madly in love with me. (laughs) Yeah, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then we'll jump into our wise conversation with Karen. We'll get into the experts' opinions, but what keeps you madly in love with your spouse? Yeah, I think
0: as I've process out this question and I think about our relationship and our marriage, because obviously that's the context that we have, I, I think the biggest thing that I come up with is that we keep learning and discovering new things about each other. Meaning... For me, like I, I'll recognize. Okay, she's reading different books in this season. She's listening to different playlists. These things that are value to you that shift and change along the way. That I'm learning that I'm observing that, and I'm leaning into hearing what it is that you're saying, or maybe not even what you're actually saying, but what you're trying to say, and and who you're becoming as you're shifting and growing and maturing as we move through this life. And so I think just on a constant path of discovery and learning each other. Uh, really keeps the spark alive for us.
1: Absolutely. I, we're going to hear a little bit more about that in our conversation with Karen, you know, just always being a learner of your spouse. I think that's so important too. Um, and I, I thought of something similar. I think for me, what keeps the spark alive is being able to encourage each other to do the things that we're passionate about. I think that's something that um, anytime we're able to see our spouse do the thing that makes them come alive, it always is desirable. It's so attractive seeing them do what they were born to do, do what they love to do, and just watch them come alive doing it. I think you've really done this for me, just pushing me to do what I love, pushing me to find what that is, um, and then lending me that courage to do that. I think that's been really incredible. And I, of course, love seeing you do what you do as well. So... Thanks, babe. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's how we keep the spark alive. We (laughs) hope that for you, you have an answer for you and your spouse. But we also know that Karen's got some great information. She shares today's episode. So guys, get ready. Here is Karen Eamon. All right. Well, Karen, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're with us today.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, okay, before we dive into this awesome book that you've written, and I think it's a topic that so many people are going to love, yes. but let's find out a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? You got family, you got kids, that whole thing. Tell us all about yourself.
2: Well, I'm an author and speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries, which is based in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I actually live in Michigan, right in the middle of the Mitten. I like to think of Michigan as America's High Five, so I live mm-hmm. in America's High Five. <laughs> And I'm married to my college sweetheart. We've been married for 32 years and we have three adult children. And um, I just love to spend my time encouraging people in their relationships, marriages, parenting, all that kind of stuff.
1: That's awesome. Well, we're excited to talk today about keeping the spark alive, staying crazy in love. And you've written a book called Keep Showing Up. Um, So we're really excited. What kind of led you to write this book? Will you tell us a little bit about that, the story of of how this came about?
2: I think two things when I think about why I wrote it, both just my own marriage, my husband and I just seeing over three decades of being married, which we got married in kindergarten. Let's, let's just yeah, totally. when I say, when I yeah. say three decades. It makes me sound like I've got one <laughs> foot in the grave, but anyhow, just seeing our own marriage, how so much of it has been that notion of just continuing to show up, to wipe the slate, clean, to start all over again, to grant grace and just keep going. It's never going to be perfect. But we are going to be able to be perfected, you know, and um, learn and grow. But it's never going to be exactly the way we want it. But we just have to be faithful to keep showing up. And then I think also, too, just looking at over our adult life at how many marriages we have seen fall apart. And now I'm not speaking in any way about marriages that end for a very good reason, because there was something that was tragic that the other spouse chose to do some very you know, sinful choice or biblical grounds. I'm not talking about that at all. But just the average marriage that sometimes just says, oh, they don't make me happy anymore. You know, she's not really who I thought she was, or we were young, and they just kind of throw in the towel. It's so easy to just give up rather than to go, you know what, I'm going to do the hard work of trying to work on my own actions, my own reactions, my own heart. And grant grace to my spouse, and I'm just going to keep plugging away at this thing. I just feel like that's so missing in our culture.
0: Yeah, it's such a big piece. So, okay, I know there's a lot of people that are listening here in different stages of their marriage. Some are a couple years in, some are, we have people who are listening who haven't married three decades. Um, and I know inside the book, you share some stories, some personal things you walk through. Uh, let's maybe talk to that couple who is. Right at the beginning of their marriage, some of the things you guys maybe walked through and discovered early on in your marriage.
2: I think the best advice you can give someone who is just starting out in marriage is to really, really examine if you have the right view of what marriage is. Because I think from our culture, we get such a wrong view. Whatever screen you happen to be staring at, I don't care if it's The movie screen, the television screen, your phone screen there on social media, we get this wrong view that marriage is going to complete us, that we're going to find our soulmate, and they are just going to make us happy for the rest of our life. My goodness, if marriage is about making you happy, then I must have a horrible marriage because my husband's made me unhappy about five times this week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I've probably made him unhappy about 10 times. But, you know, marriage isn't about finding that perfect person that completes you and you ride off into the sunset and it's all just roses and rainbows and unicorns. I mean, that's not what it is. Marriage is hard and it's not about you, it's about not even your spouse, it's about showing the watching world a picture of the gospel and how God loves us and he keeps showing up and he keeps granting grace and forgiving us. And we need to do the same thing with our spouse. And if our goal can be to behave in a way that displays the gospel toward our spouse and toward anybody who's, who's watching, whether it's kids in the house or people next door, if that can be our goal, we can be successful at it. But if our goal is to make the other person make us happy, it's never going to work. It's never going to work.
1: You you mentioned social media. I know that's something that you hit on in the book. Can you talk about that for a second? You know, that's something that was not in play when we got married 15 years ago, but now it's such a huge deal. Um, and you talk about how that can kind of be harmful to a marriage. Can you unpack that a little bit?
2: Yeah, because you see what happens is we see everybody's best foot forward behavior that they put on social media they don't put the bad stuff. Now, I mean, maybe some people go on Facebook and vent or something. But, you know, I think of Instagram. That's my favorite social media. It's so easy to sit there and scroll through Instagram, whether it's marriage, family life, career, whatever, and look at whatever pops up and go, oh, wow, look, they're out to dinner at a really expensive restaurant. They look so happy. And and the wife strategically has her upgraded diamond ring, you know, with the picture. <laughs> just so. And we we look at that and we go, wow, it seems like they have a perfect marriage because we're sitting here fighting over leftovers here at home. <laughs> I'm not out to some expensive restaurant and it it just seems like everybody has a better marriage than us. It seems like they're happier. I, I like to think of it as we're coming apart at the seams because it seems like everyone has a better life than us because we don't know the whole package deal. We don't know what's going on behind that screen. Mm-hmm. We don't let our brains go to the point where we think, Oh, but I bet they had a fight this week too. You know, we just, we compare our reality of what's happening right before us to somebody else's perception. And it seems so wonderful and it makes us feel like so less than by comparison. Right.
0: Yeah, so I think it's just important that we in a marriage and with each other probably have those filters, right? To go, hey, let's remind ourselves that this is the highlight reel. These people are giving us the the top hits of their life, you know, that they want to show off, but we really have no idea. We have to keep that in mind. So I wanna to talk to specifically, you said you've had people uh, you've seen marriages that have fallen apart and I'm sure you've probably heard, even as you've done the research in this book, uh, kind of some common things that people keep saying And because I know there's people listening here that maybe don't even think that the self-thought that they have or the words that they've spoken could quite honestly be leading them to this path and they need to acknowledge that these are not healthy words like some of the things you talk about falling out of love or whatever what are some of the main things you've heard so that we can kind of combat that and we then I want to talk about how we overcome that when you start having those thoughts
2: yeah I think some common ones that I hear just going off the top of my head is we were young. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, um, he doesn't make me happy anymore. or She doesn't make me happy anymore. They've changed. I hear that a lot. Well, they've changed. But when you ask them how they've changed, they often don't point to specific things. So what I feel like they're really saying is the excitement and the the anticipation and the thrill of the relationship has changed. So therefore, I'm saying they've changed because they don't make me feel that spark anymore. So it must be them, right? It's easy to not think that we're the ones that have changed or that just we've kind of fell into this pattern of boredom over the years. And that's what's changed. It's not exciting anymore. It's boring. Um, I think those are probably the main ones that that I hear.
0: Okay. And so when someone comes to you and they say that, what do you, what do you tell them?
2: Yeah. How do they get that spark back? Well, I think you you don't want to try to recreate when you were first dating, but to think back at what did seem so exciting and what was so, you know, that in love feeling that you have back there in the early days of dating, what was it? Now, some of it was just newness because you were just getting to know that person. But I feel like, at least for me and for marriages, I have observed we were real investigators when we were first together and we wanted to know all we could about that other person i used to ask my husband questions you know till i was blue in the face cuz i just wanted to know everything about what he thought where he came from how he grew up and then we get the ring we walk down the aisle and all of a sudden life just hits and we're just trying to survive go through life whether kids are part of it or maybe kids aren't on the scene yet but that boredom, that routine kind of sets in and we no longer go on that discovery to learn about our spouse and to learn what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what some of their favorites were of memories of when they were growing up. So I think if we can always try to be inquisitive and ask those kind of questions, sometimes when my husband and I will go out on a date, I'll just say really random things like, what was your, what was your favorite toy when you were little? And it can spark a 20-minute conversation about how he loved the Rock'em Sock'em robots you know, and why, and why he liked that and who gave it to him for Christmas. And just bringing in that newness when it's so easy to fall into that pattern of monotony and the mundane, we can bring a little bit of the magic back into the mundane if we will just go on a fact-finding mission and just ask our spouse simple questions. That's awesome.
1: And I've heard you tell um, a story of something sweet that your husband did for you years ago. And you shared before this concept of heart drops and looking for those heart drops in each other and in our spouse. Um, And he noticed something that you were missing growing up and then
2: arranged for you to have it. Would you share that story with our listeners? Sure, sure. A heart drop is a way to listen between the lines when someone's saying something without really saying it. And what happened in this particular instance was... We were at youth group. My husband was a youth pastor and I was a youth worker at the time. And one of the girls was having a slumber party. And so she asked me, hey, Karen, tell us what were slumber parties like way back in the late 80s? You know? <laughs> like I'm so Thanks. old. Thanks, you know? yeah. <laughs> what did they do in the 80s at slumber parties? And I just simply made a passing comment and said, well, you know, I didn't really go to a ton of them. And well, I never had a slumber party myself. And my husband picked up on that, and he started to investigate a little bit and found out that I was from a single parent family. My mom was living on a budget so tight it squeaked. She was an excellent mom. She gave me everything I needed, but we didn't have a lot of nice stuff. She was busy working, and for just whatever reason, I was never able to have a slumber party. And my husband heard that little heart drop when I said that with a little tweak of sadness in my voice. And so this was a couple months before my 30th birthday, and he pulled off a surprise 30th birthday slumber party with 30 <laughs> of my friends at church What three of my friends kidnapped me in their fuzzy slippers and in their bathrobes. And they took me to the church where they had this great big slumber party for me. And it was just such a blast. And it all started because he was listening. He paid attention. He was listening between the lines when I said something.
1: I love that so much. I think it's such a good, it's an important reminder that like, if I will shift my my focus instead of you're not meeting my needs what can you what can you change to meet my needs now I'm thinking about what can I listen for what can I find that that need that I can meet or that you know that little piece that you talked about that's important that I can pay attention to and value in my spouse and it changes everything because like you said then it's not about me anymore it's about us together and how Mm -hmm. we can meet each other's needs that's so huge um one of the things Karen you talk about in the book is discovering the unique calling that we can have together as a couple. Not just our calling individually, but that God's given us a work to do together as a couple. How do we take the steps to discover what that is?
2: I think it's really important to be serving God together. You know, it's easy to sign up to do things at church and I'm I'm not against that. I think that's wonderful to sign up to do different tasks at church. But I'm talking about just sitting down. Um, There's actually a list of questions in the book where you can sit down with your spouse and you can list the different things that you're interested in, the different strengths and gifts you have, and really begin to make it a matter of prayer that God will show you where you can have some unique ministry together as a couple, something you can do together that, a part you each couldn't do on your own, because you're a team, and you have strengths and your husband has strengths, or your wife has strengths, and you can blend those together and go do something to serve. And I think the most important step is to just ask yourselves, where in our life do we see pain? People who are in pain, either financially? Or emotionally or physically and start there because there's something that happens when you, you know, have that tendency to think, oh, my life's not so great or my marriage is kind of humdrum. If you go serve somebody who's in some kind of pain, it just does something. It both makes you appreciate what you do have. And for me, it makes me fall in love all over again with my husband when I see him. One thing that he does is he has a third grade boy that he mentors who's an at-risk youth. And when I hear him tell stories about what he has shared with that boy. I bake cookies so he could take him there. And we have like this, this little boy that is important to us. And my husband's pouring his life into it. Oh my goodness, that is so attractive to me when my husband is doing that. I mean, he could just be out doing something just for himself, not that we don't have hobbies and interests, I'm not saying that. But to see him helping a boy who's at risk and doesn't have a dad in his life, that does something to me. And when you can find something you can do together, it's even better. That's awesome,
0: yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, you got you talked about you have three grown children. Uh, we're talking about this unique ministry, this unique calling. I think the marriage isn't necessarily about you, right? It's about living out the gospel. And I think the greatest opportunity of people watching us live out the gospel is our its sometimes those that have children in the house. And so talk about that. to keep this flame and this fire and be crazy in love, And what that does or doesn't do for children.
2: Well, I think the first thing it does is it really fosters a sense of security when they can see their parents continuing to show up and continuing to love each other. And I'm not saying that that means you never fight in front of the kids or you don't show them the bad parts. I think it's actually really healthy if your kids can see you work through conflict in a healthy way, not attacking the person, but attacking the problem without attacking the person. I think that really can help them to sense security and can teach them some healthy skills so that when they get married, they're not blindsided. I remember a a girl that I went to college with, she got married and her marriage did not even last six months because she said her husband and her fought all the time. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I didn't know if there was abuse going on or what. And it was like, no, I mean, like sometimes we're fighting right on, The drive to church, you know, we're arguing about something and then we walk in church and we smile like everything's fine. And I said, I kind of think that's normal. (laughs) But she said that she honestly, and she was not exaggerating, that she grew up in a home where she never one time saw her parents disagree. Her dad called all the shots and her mom said, Yes, sir. And they never disagreed, they never fought in front of the kids. And so when, you know, shortly after the honeymoon, they had their first marital spat, she thought I married the wrong person, that this can't be right, because marriage is supposed to be easy, and you're not supposed to fight. So I think having healthy conflict resolution modeled for your kids, I think your kids knowing that you love each other, I think it's very important to show affection and flirt with each other in front of the kids. Our kids used to roll their eyes sometimes, (laughs) like, mom and dad, you're so embarrassing, you know? Um, For sure. uh, I remember one time, though, talking to our kids about it and said, I know you think we're, we're goofy. My, my husband worked afternoons at the time. So the kids' sporting events, he could only make it through about half of them before he had to go leave for work. And he would always give me a big kiss. And one time it was caught on the volleyball camera when the, the girls watched their their video back to critique their serves and stuff. And my daughter was like, it was so embarrassing, Mom. I saw Dad and you keep smooching up in the bleachers, you know. <laughs> and we are laughing about it. But at the time, they had several friends whose parents were going through divorce. And they said, as much as it drives us crazy and embarrasses us, we kind of like it. And I'm like, I know. Mom still thinks dad's hot and dad still thinks mom's <laughs> hot. That's just how it is. Get over <laughs> it. <laughs> like, as much as they might roll their eyes and be embarrassed by it, they're glad. They're thankful and this for it. People, yeah. And this culture, you know, and again, there are reasons for divorce. I'm not saying they're not. But, you know, in this culture, when they a lot of times see families falling apart, it helps to um, foster a sense of commitment yeah. in their parents' marriage. Yeah, that's huge.
0: So ultimately at the end of the day what's your big hope when someone picks up this book they they read it what is it you're hoping speaks directly to their heart and soul
2: I would say it's about reflecting the gospel to a watching world you know your marriage is a message and people are watching you preach and we are supposed to be taking every opportunity to point people to the message of the gospel and your marriage can be a place where that happens and the more you have to overcome in your marriage, whether it's personality differences or, or whatever it is, don't look at that as something bad, like, wah, wah, Debbie Downer, you know, I've got this horrible marriage, we've got these obstacles. No, that's where God's going to meet you. He's going to grant you patience and help you to show grace and forgiveness and to keep showing up and to keep going. And it's this weird thing. It gets easier and it doesn't get easier. And by that, I mean, it doesn't ever go away. Conflict doesn't ever go away, but you learn how to deal with it better. You can cross some things off your list as, as you take care of them and you don't revisit those issues. But then there are other issues you're going to continue to bump up against for 30 years, you know, but you learn to grow as a believer as you learn to extend grace and to treat your spouse as you would want to be treated and as God calls you to treat them. And it can be such a bright light when people, you know, see two people who don't just go, oh, well, this isn't working, but say, you know what? I'm sticking around. This is hard, but we're going to get this thing figured out and we're going to have a little fun in the process. Like, don't lose that magic. Don't lose that fun. And don't make it all so serious all the time. You know, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. But sometimes we're so shocked when it shows up. I mean, there's going to be trouble. It's okay. Just keep going. Keep showing up and keep granting grace.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. I have a friend in my life that um, they'd fight quite a bit early on in their marriage. And then they started to grow. And then he'd call back. I mean, we've got another fight. I was like, yeah, but woman's the last fight. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it was a week ago. Okay. (laughs) All right. And then we do it again. It was lot like three weeks ago. Yeah. Like you're making some ground. Yeah. <laughs> you are making some headway. And so to know that growth comes and hopefully we all grow and mature and, and take this posture of serving the person that we've been gifted with to yeah. love as our best friend and partner. So, okay. Well, we like to wrap up our show with three rapid fire questions. Are you ready? <laughs>
2: Uh, I think so. I don't remember this being part of the deal, but let's I go. I mean,
0: you know, it's on the fly. I'm so up for it. You, you'll do great. And they go a little bit like this. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So let's start with number one. What's a book that's changed your life?
2: I would say the book that changed my life was Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Yeah. Besides like, the Bible, I mean, because the Sunday school answer is the Bible.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's like, like our kids, like, what do you ever did? Or Jesus is yeah, that the right answer? It's Jesus. The right answer. You know? <laughs> like, okay. You know, no, it's yeah, such that's a good a great book. Way. All right. All right. What's a habit that's changed your life?
2: A habit that has changed my life is making a point whenever I can fit it in to not just read God's word every day, but to write God's word every day. Take just one little verse that pops out at me, but I write a sentence or two about it so that I can internalize it and try to remember the directives in it. And I don't do it perfectly, but I've gotten to the point where I don't, beat myself up. If it doesn't happen in the morning, sometimes it might be right before I go to bed and, um, probably bat 75, 750, bat 750 on that, like 75% of the time it happens. Not perfectly, but it does. God's word makes such a difference. It's so important that we be not just reading it, but trying to really remember it and apply it. That's
1: good. Okay. And lastly, what advice would you give to the younger you?
2: Relax. <laughs> It doesn't have to all be perfect. I'm a perfectionist and a people pleaser, which is an awful combination. <laughs> awful. Terrible. But I, yes, especially in parenting, I would say just go out the door with the daughter that dressed herself in the mismatched clothes. Who cares? You know, I have a mentor that always says to me, looking back from the grave, and then she'll finish her sentence. Like, it's <laughs> going to be important looking back from the grave that my kid's clothes matched Or that, you know, they learned all of their Bible verses at the competition at church or whatever. Is it really, does it really matter when it comes to eternity? If not, just let it go. It's okay. Okay. Just relax. Chill a little. Take a chill pill. So good.
0: (laughs) Relax. Well, thank you so much for being here. This book is out. It's impacting people's lives. Where can they get it? Where can they follow you? All that good stuff.
2: Yes, they can learn all about it at kareneman.com, And Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. And I'm also part of Proverbs 31 Ministries. They can check me out there. And I I really hope that it encourages people to keep doing the hard work and keep showing Christ.
0: You said you like Instagram. What's your Instagram handle?
2: Karen Eman. Just all (laughs) run together. Easy enough.
0: All right. Well, Karen, thank you for this message. Thank you for sharing it with us today. We are cheering you on every single step of the way.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been fun.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. That is how you keep the spark alive. (laughs) But we would love to hear from you. How do you keep the spark alive? Come tell us on social media and make sure that it's PG rated. (laughs) 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 You know, can't wait to hear about it.
1: Guys, thank you so much for listening today. We hope this episode was a blessing for you, and we'd love to hear from you. Like Chris said, take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes, hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com, or come and find us on social media. We would love to hear how these conversations are speaking to you.
0: And as always, you can find all the information for today's episode, all the books, the links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, guys, that is a wrap for episode 51 here on the podcast. We're going to close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.